everyone, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this, of course, is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And so I originally intended to get this episode out last week, so the weekend following Christmas. But time got by me and all of a sudden it's New Year's. I'm recording this on New Year's Day. And I know a lot of people were probably really bummed out or disappointed that COVID kind of put the kibosh on this year's New Year's celebrations. And I have to admit that even I, you know, someone who's not exactly crazy about New Year's, found the images on the news of empty streets on New Year's Eve that usually would have been packed with revelers to be strangely haunting or unsettling. But as I was just alluding, as someone who's not exactly a big fan of New Year's, and I feel kind of guilty admitting this, I did find the lack of social pressure and social expectations to be rather refreshing. I'm not a total hermit. I get invited and go to parties throughout the year, you know what I mean? Um, well, not this year for obvious reasons. But for some reason, New Year's Eve and I are like oil and water. I have close friends like the guys in my band who are married with kids and don't do much that I'm aware of on New Year's Eve. And then I have other close friends who have these kind of long-standing New Year's traditions where they, you know, go on trips and that kind of thing. And because I'm not the kind of person to fish for an invitation, and also because it just seems to sneak up on me every year, I don't go out of my way to make plans. And strangely enough, I'm usually alone on New Year's Eve. And I'm not admitting that to elicit sympathy. I actually don't mind being alone. Uh, I'm naturally kind of an introverted person. And uh, it's more like the social pressure and the expectations that get to me. Uh, it's built up as being the biggest night of the year and, you know, where you're going to be and who with when the ball drops. Uh, a saying that always made me a little uncomfortable. My balls dropped a long time ago. You can hear it in my voice. But, you know, it's a whole thing. And as awful as COVID is, uh, once again, I'm kind of glad it took a little pressure off this year. One thing I'd like to do if I do ever, you know, start streaming or whatever, uh, I would love on, you know, kind of awkward holidays like that where maybe people feel alone. Uh, just stream like a New Year's special and interact with listeners or viewers and kind of have a virtual party. I think that kind of thing would be pretty cool, you know. And while I'm being candid, I have to admit that I've been in a really weird headspace lately. My pharmacy screwed up. Uh, I know that probably sounds ominous, but uh, given the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, I've been opting to have my prescriptions mailed to me instead of personally going into, you know, a clinic full of sick people. Um... But yeah, they screwed up, and instead of sending my meds to me as requested, and I always feel self-conscious saying my meds makes me feel like crazy uh, Joe Davola from Seinfeld, but instead of sending them to me, they just left them there on a shelf or in a bin or whatever. Uh, I called up and they apologized and said they'd get them right out, but now it's a holiday. So I've now been without my amitriptyline for about five or six days, and you longtime listeners will know that I suffer from chronic migraines with a twist of depression, maybe a little drop of anxiety. Uh, although I feel like I've pretty much grown out of the social anxiety I had when I was younger, uh, with the occasional exception, you know. Once in a while, I'll still kind of get a little anxious before or when I first arrive at a party or social event. But then I usually get acclimated and usually end up having a, you know, a really good time and I'm one of the last people to leave. 
Uh, but as odd as it sounds, uh, antidepressants are a common or frontline treatment for chronic migraines and other forms of chronic pain. And they think it has something to do with the neurotransmitter serotonin. Not only does it elevate mood, but also seems to help uh, regulate pain somehow. So as you can imagine, when you're on a drug that alters your brain chemistry for months or even years, and then suddenly you go without taking it for a week, you're going to feel a little off. So I'm in a total brain fog. Uh, the headaches haven't really come back in full force yet, but I did have a couple of nasty episodes of sleep paralysis. I used to get that a lot when I was young, and I noticed it went away when I started taking antidepressants. I researched it a long time ago, and it turns out that there does seem to be a link between certain medical conditions, including depression and migraines, and sleep paralysis. And I thought I read once that it also might be a serotonin thing, and that certain antidepressants have been shown to help relieve the problem, as well as other sleep issues. Uh, but pardon my language, but that is a bitch. It's like you're trapped between a sleep state and a waking state. You're conscious, but feel trapped in your own body, unable to move, and have to struggle until you break through and finally wake up and gain control of your body again. I think it has something to do with the fact that supposedly in an attempt to prevent you from harming yourself in your sleep, flailing around during a dream or whatever, uh, that your body basically puts your muscles into a kind of temporary paralytic state. And if you start to gain consciousness before that lifts, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, did I really say that? It's like you're trapped in your own body like it's a lead coffin, just in time for the holidays. Uh, well, that was cherry, but uh, I'm looking at my notes, uh, the notes I made last week when I thought I'd be getting this out around Christmas. So let's see. And yeah, regards Patreon, and I'll err on the side of caution and leave out their names. As much as I love thanking people, both privately and publicly, for their support, I know not everyone feels comfortable being mentioned by name on an atheist podcast. It shouldn't, but unfortunately, being an atheist still carries something of a stigma, and people might not want their families or employers finding out they identify as such, and thusly prefer to remain anonymous. But on Christmas Day, I received a generous gift, shall we say, a Christmas or holiday tip, perhaps. Uh, from a listener via PayPal, and it was greatly appreciated. It was a very nice surprise. And then another longtime friend and listener recently signed back up on Patreon. And so even though I'm preserving their anonymity, I still don't want to mention too much about their personal situation. But speaking generally, like a lot of people, they were hit hard by the circumstances of this past year and had to kind of rein in their budget or their spending but we're now feeling stable enough financially to resume supporting the show. And I really hope I'm not divulging too much. Like the, uh, what's with all the Seinfeld references this episode? But like anyone else out there who's a Seinfeld fan, remember the, uh, the rabbi? There was kind of that, uh, and I kind of have a monotone too. There was that rabbi with the monotone and he would just like casually admit things about uh, his congregants or people that he, that he uh, talked to. <laughs> Uh, but to get serious again for a minute, I know people work hard for their money, and these are tough times for a lot of people, so it's very humbling. It means a lot when people choose to support the show monetarily. Uh, so thank you so much to both of you, and these are both people that I consider not just listeners now, but friends and people I've been interacting with 
uh, through the show for a long time. So thank you so much to both of you. And also a deep thanks to everyone else who supports the show financially. And to those of you who offer your moral support, encouragement, thoughtful responses, or even constructive criticism in the form of uh, feedback in the YouTube comments section or through DMs, etc. But enough with the smaltz. Or is it schmaltz? I don't know. All the Yiddish I know I've learned from TV. But uh, before I move on from the subject of Patreon, I actually released a Patreon bonus episode on Christmas. I know there's some Patreon supporters who prefer the more raw, unscripted episodes. So that's what I did. I just sat down in front of the mic and pushed record and did my best to wing it while Christmas music played in the background on my iPhone. And it was definitely a strange Christmas, and not just because of COVID. As I mentioned in that bonus episode, here in New England, there were severe weather warnings, not because of snow, because of rain. Uh, There was torrential rain and really high winds starting on Christmas Eve and well into Christmas Day. You usually don't associate Christmas with sump pumps, at least not in these parts. And the way the holidays landed this year, you think I would have been happy about it. I had a half day that Thursday because of Christmas Eve, and then Friday and the rest of the weekend off. Um, But kind of like now, I just felt discombobulated, like my sense of time was completely off. I did end up watching a few movies that Christmas weekend, but most of them were dog crap. Once again, pardon my French. Pretty sure dog crap is in French, but you know what I'm saying. I watched the new Wonder Woman movie. Uh, What is it called? Wonder Woman 84 or Wonder Woman 1984? And I was incredibly disappointed. I liked the first one. I think the only thing I didn't like about the first one was the bad guy they fight at the end. Uh, He just seemed really generic and lame, like some derivative video game boss or something. But I thought Gal Gadot, or is it Gadot? Gadot, I think, and uh, Chris Pine were good in it. And it had enough action and enough heart that held my interest. But this one, the sequel, it just felt really overly long and dull. It's over two hours long, and I don't even think the movie really starts to pick up until about an hour in, and even then it's still pretty meh. And I was surprised because for me, kind of like as they say, even bad pizza is still pizza, I usually enjoy watching comic book or superhero movies in general, even if they're kind of underwhelming or don't measure up to other entries in the franchise. But this just bored the hell out of me. There were a couple of scenes that I guess were kind of cool. It was weird. Twice in the movie, Kristen Wiig's character gets hit on by the same guy. Hit on is probably putting it too mildly. In both cases, the guy is so aggressive. It was like a hair away from sexual assault. The first time, Wonder Woman saves her from the dude. And then the second time, Kristen Wiig, or her character rather, takes her newfound powers for a spin and beats the living crap out of the guy. It was one of the darker or edgier scenes in the movie, and even though it was pretty tropey, uh, seeing the guy get his ass kicked by Wig's character was still kind of fun or cathartic. Uh, But what struck me as kind of odd is both times she runs into this guy, he's hanging around outside completely shit-faced, and he's wearing business clothes. So... Maybe like a hobo or a tramp in one of those old cartoons or those old lawn decorations with a little wino hugging the lamppost. I don't know. But how often do you see that in real life? A businessman just hanging out in the street waiting for passersby to drunkenly accost, you know, in broad daylight. 
Who knows, maybe he's outside his favorite bar, you know, after tying one on during lunch. Uh, just seemed kind of cringy or forced. But I did like seeing her uh, just like, it was so violent. I don't know what that says about me, kind of sick. But I, I liked watching her like uh, thrash the guy to within an inch of his life. But seeing as the movie takes place in the 80s, uh, maybe cocaine would have been more appropriate. What's more 80s than businessmen fueled on booger sugar? Kidding. Watch out for the white stuff, kids. Public service announcement. And then there was another scene I kind of liked, or at least liked the visuals, rather. It's the 4th of July and Wonder Woman and her pilot boyfriend are up in the clouds flying through and above a fireworks display. Is that even safe? I don't know. And uh, to be honest, I didn't really feel too emotionally invested in the characters, but you know, you know the fireworks were nice. And I heard someone make the point that uh, her boyfriend, Steve, who is supposed to be a World War I pilot, uh, now finds himself in the 80s, seems strangely awed by things that should have been around in his time, like fireworks and trains. I swear there's one time where he's down in a subway station and he seems to be looking at a trash can like it's a modern miracle. <laughs> it's like, what's next? What is that on your foot? You call it a shoe? It's like, you know, the guy's supposed to be from World War One, not from, you know, 7000 BCE or something. And Pedro Pascal from The Mandalorian is in it, too. He plays the main antagonist. And he has blonde hair, which was kind of weird. Uh, but I couldn't stand his character. And not in a good way, like a villain you love to hate kind of thing, but I just found the character annoying and not very compelling. And so I guess maybe it's a little ironic. Couldn't stand Pedro Pascal in this movie, uh, but he's also the lead in The Mandalorian, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. I'd probably just chalk it up to a really kind of annoying character, I guess. But there is something I notice about The Mandalorian that bothers me. Actually, it doesn't really bother me. It's more of a kind of humorous observation. The Mandalorian's not supposed to ever remove his helmet or let anyone see his face. Part of his creed and all that. But on the rare occasion he does remove his helmet, he's got a mustache. Why go through the trouble of cultivating a mustache and grooming your facial hair if no one's ever supposed to see your face? Maybe it was a contractional kind of thing with uh, Pedro Pascal. I don't know. But I did notice the mustache was gone during the season 2 finale, which I loved. It's embarrassing to admit, but I did get a little verklempt, to continue with the Yiddish, when Luke Skywalker appeared at the end. Uh, when I was a little kid, I loved Star Wars, had all the figures, etc. And as an adult, I'll break out the old movies once in a while and watch them over again. And you guys know me, I'm a Joseph Campbell fan, and I'm into the power of myths and symbolism and all that. Uh, Lucas was heavily influenced by Campbell, so I also appreciate Star Wars on that kind of level as well. Did I do a little uh, Peter Brady crack? But, uh, but I wouldn't call myself a rabid Star Wars fan. I'm not one of those people that can spit out obscure factoids or tell you what is or isn't canon. I've never read any of the books, etc. Uh, but it still really got me when Luke appeared. No waterworks, but I was definitely a little choked up. Uh, yeah, the face may have had a tiny bit of wonky, deep fake, you know, kind of stuff going on. Uh, but still an awesome moment. And it seems a lot of other people have had a similar reaction. 
There was something about that scene that really stirred something in fans. Some people talk about fan service like it's a bad thing, but I love how Dave Filoni and John Favreau have really been doing a great job crafting content for old school Star Wars fans. And apologies if I'm going off on a pop culture tangent. Uh, one more thing though, this is really embarrassing and I probably shouldn't admit it, but I will. Uh, the only movie to ever make me cry, My Dog Skip with Frankie Muniz. <laughs> uh, I'm an animal lover and especially dogs. And there were scenes in that movie that really just, you know, got me in the feels. And I'm not sure if I mentioned this already or not, but I'm recording this episode on New Year's Day. And I just recently learned about a couple of interesting developments in the, should I say, skeptosphere or online atheist community. Uh, one involves Kyle Kalinske, and although Kyle is an atheist, uh, his thing is mainly politics, to be honest. And I I'm a fan of Kyle. I really like secular talk. And I've even mentioned on the show how at some point I'd like to do something similar, have a nice looking little set and do a kind of daily secular news show. But the development is, and I guess this has been in the works for a while, but Kyle was keeping it a secret because he wanted it to be a surprise. He just came out with a new podcast and his co-host is The Hills Crystal Ball. And I say podcast, which makes me think of audio, but the line between audio podcast and online shows uh, that, you know, are on YouTube or other video platforms, that seems to have been blurring for a while now. Uh, I have a lot of content creators I like who have YouTube shows that seem first and foremost to be tailored for the medium of video, but they'll refer to the show as a podcast, which in fairness, I guess, still makes sense because usually in most cases, the content creator is also releasing an audio-only version. And uh, I think that's what uh, Kyle and Crystal are doing. There's a video version you can watch on YouTube, and I believe there's also an audio-only version as well. This show, the one you're listening to now, is kind of the inverse. First and foremost, it's an audio podcast. And then I add visuals after the fact for the YouTube version. That could change down the road if I do ever switch to a more, you know, to more of an online video show format. But I would still always release an audio-only version as well for people who prefer listening to podcasts. But I watched the first episode of Kyle and Crystal's podcast. Their guest was Marianne Williamson. You might remember her as a 2020 presidential candidate, one of the many that ended up falling by the wayside. She's known for being kind of hippy-dippy or into woo, I guess you could, uh, you could say. In fairness, maybe my judgment wasn't the clearest since I've been feeling out of sorts, dealing with this severe brain fog. But I found it kind of bland. I know this show might not be the pinnacle of excitement either, uh, but I'm just trying to give my honest opinion as a viewer. I think the magic, so to speak, of Kyle Kalinske is how he just stares straight into the camera and talks to you like a regular guy, no BS, and free to be irreverent and say whatever the hell he wants. Uh, in fairness, I imagine he's still free to say whatever the hell he wants. Uh, it's his podcast along with Crystal. Um, but it was just kind of strange seeing him in this new dynamic or setting. Crystal Ball, and yes, if you're not familiar, that is a real name. I think she has a much more kind of proper and subdued style, more of what you'd expect from a professional talking head. And the whole thing had a kind of uh, NPR vibe to me. Uh, once again, maybe it was the brain fog making me feel kind of detached or disinterested. But I was like, eh. 
You know, I think I prefer Kyle just talking into the camera. And I think he is going to continue to also release secular talk videos, so that's good. And I'll keep watching the Kyle and Crystal thing. Maybe I didn't give it a fair shake, and sometimes it takes time to get used to something new, and it ends up kind of growing on you, you know? Okay, and then the other development, and this is a name I haven't even thought of in a really long time. And uh, that just made me think of Star Wars again. Doesn't uh, Ben Kenobi say Obi-Wan? Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time, but it's Steve Shies. And I'm sure most of you don't need me to remind you who he is, but baseball cap, flared nostrils, beard like a pubic mound. Usually I try to be nicer and, you know, I try not to sink as low as focusing in on someone's looks. That's probably a bad habit, but if someone really rubs me the wrong way, sometimes I will. And I've never really cared for Steve Shives. And you guys know me. I'm not one of these anti-SJW types. I'm a very left-leaning guy. But to me, Shives has always kind of seemed like the embodiment or caricature of what people on the right or anti-SJW types uh, think that people on the other side of the argument are, are like. And maybe some are, you know, the really super far left speech and thought policing types. And it's weird. And it's something that I've long kind of felt conflicted about. Because on the one hand, I am a really left-leaning guy, very supportive of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and like I said, you got to keep me up to date. If there's any new letters being added to the to the uh, acronym for now, I'll go with LGBTQ. <sighs> Almost ran out of breath. But um, to reiterate, as, as someone who is very supportive of the LGBTQ community and who realizes that the right thing is to keep pushing for acceptance and equality, it's like, I get it. But then on the other hand, there is a part of me that when I see these extreme examples where it does seem like there's a lot of kind of thought and speech policing going on and language that almost kind of comes across a bit like Orwellian newspeak, you know. I know technically Orwell was a socialist, so it's kind of weird when uh, the right tries to kind of use him as a cudgel. But um, you know what, I, what I'm saying? As someone who tries to eschew or avoid groupthink and isn't exactly a joiner. I always get a little spooked when things reach a level where it almost feels a little kind of cultish or like there's this kind of Stepford Wives thing going on, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's kind of weird. On the one hand, you know, you want to be a good person, you want to fight for acceptance and equality, but at the same time, you don't want to be complicit if it seems like political correctness is being taken too far in some instances. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, for someone that just wants to do the right thing and be on the side of the angels, figuratively speaking, yeah, it can be, it can be kind of frustrating. But yeah, to get back to Shives, he did always kind of strike me as like this caricature come to life. And, uh, as someone who finds a lot of this kind of anti-SJW, uh, slang or whatever to be kind of juvenile. I'm someone who doesn't really like the word cuck, but I have to mention like half jokingly, when I think of Steve Shives, rightly or wrongly, the word cuck does come to mind. Maybe it's just because so many other people referred to him as such, you know what I mean? Uh-oh, I've implemented a strict, you know what I mean, quota on myself, and I think I'm kind of pretty close to this episode. But Anyway, so yeah, even though I, you know, I dislike the word cuck, I think it's kind of silly and mean-spirited. 
In a sense, I think it does kind of apply to Steve Shives. I just remember all those videos he did where he's kind of awkwardly sitting next to his wife like some weird defeated worm. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that he's literally been cuckolded, but it does seem to fit the kind of slang definition of someone who seems uh, a bit too submissive or kept under heel, you know what I mean? Another you know what I mean. What am I going to do with myself? But, uh, Anyway, so yeah, a long this all started because a longtime friend and listener tagged me in a Facebook post about Steve Shives uh, getting divorced or separated. Apparently, he tweeted or posted about it and mentioned, I'm paraphrasing, that it wasn't her fault and that the breakup or separation was due to his own poor choices or something like that. So right away, that made me think that he probably cheated on her. I don't know that for certain. It's admittedly pure speculation. I know that's a really heavy accusation to level at someone. So I'm not saying that's the case, but usually, you know, when you hear a guy talk about how a breakup, a divorce or a separation was due to their poor choices, that's usually kind of code for that they cheated. But of course, we don't know that for sure. And that might not be the case in this particular instance to be fair to him because you know whatever you think of him this is uh that's a pretty big life change uh, getting separated or divorced uh and i usually don't cover this kind of drama on the show but he is or was a pretty well-known atheist content creator and uh it kind of caught me by surprise and if it was someone else i may not even have covered it at all or i may have tried to tread even more softly than i am now and uh, i'm not proud of it part of it probably is some dark side or aspect in me that uh, maybe there's a drop of schadenfreude because I fi always found him to be kind of unbearably smug and sanctimonious. Um, I think often how well a message is received is kind of determined by the messenger. I think even a lot of his social justice stuff probably would have been more well received if he didn't come off like such a finger wagging prick, uh, pardon my language. But yeah, I don't know. Ethically, I don't know if it was the right thing or the wrong thing for me to cover this. Uh, I am, I'm even, yeah, like once again, like I said, whatever you think about the person, I understand that getting separated or divorced is a really big life change. So just on a human le level, I do have some sympathy uh, for him in that regard. But with that, I might actually call this episode a wrap. Initially, I intended to keep going. Uh, I probably had at least another half an hour's worth of material I could have done. Still a lot of notes I haven't, covered from last week. A lot of stories. I was going to cover a story about Pat Robertson. Uh, I was going to uh, talk about Trump, how it seems like right up till, you know, the very end, he's still trying to have the election results overturned. And uh, there's some high profile Republicans who are trying to aid him in that. So pretty scary. I think in the end, Biden's going to be inaugurated. And that's that, you know what I mean? But it, it's just kind of scary when we see how kind of fragile uh, democracy is at this moment or how under threat it is. Uh, I, I never thought I'd see anything like this in my life where you'd have um, this kind of president who comes across as like some kind of authoritarian third world strongman, you know, trying to overturn uh, the results of a democratic election. But anyway, yeah, I'm still, I'm feeling really off and uh, we're almost a half an hour in. So I think that's that. So as always, thanks for listening, everyone. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter, even though I'm not that active there. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. 
If you would like to support the show monetarily, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash theweekendout. And I think that takes care of all the shameless plugs. So, all right, brothers and sisters, until next time. And once again, thanks for listening.